0: Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. We're getting closer one day at a time um, to what I hope is a wonderful Christmas, and I hope you spend it with your family, unmasked, all together, in one room. There are some people who don't seem to want you to have a Merry Christmas, and believe it or not, I'm not just talking about Fauci here. I'm talking about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter does not, they're boycotting Um, what they're calling white capitalism this Christmas. They say, this is um, one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. She says, for seven years, Black Lives Matter has encouraged people to dream of a black Christmas. This means, hashtag, build black, buy black, bank black. Um, She wants you to not spend your money at any store that is owned by or operated by a white person, not um, bank at any bank that is owned by a white person or operated by a white person and only invest in black-led or black-serving organizations. So this is racism. She's wishing you racism for Christmas. She wants to take the time of the year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and she wants you to, instead of passing on the love that God has for us, that he would send his only begotten son to die on a cross to forgive our sins so that we can live in eternity with him, she wants you to give people racism. She wants you to tell people that they are less based on how they look. She wants you to judge people and degrade people because the melanin in their skin is less than the melanin in her skin. This is evil. This is so awful. It's also, by the way, a completely false narrative. She claims that, th- this, is, this is what Black Lives Matter, who by the way, has me blocked on Twitter. I'm, I'm not even sure. So when these organizations block me on Twitter, I typically go back in my Twitter history and look to see if I've tagged them because their justification for this is usually, they claim, it's a false claim, but they usually claim that there was some sort of harassment or that when I tweet about them, my followers come and harass them. And I actually don't tag people in tweets very often because I'm never exactly sure what their handles are. Um, And I guess I don't know, I'm too lazy to go look them up half the time, but Black Lives Matter has a pretty dumb handle. It's like BLK Lives Matter instead of spelling it out. And so it never occurred to me to tag them anyway, I rarely tag organizations. I have no idea why this organization has tagged me or has blocked me on Twitter, except that the fact that I speak about what they say and speak reality about what they say, calling the ideology that they're peddling racist because it is and condemning it because it's evil, which it is. Anyway, the Black Lives Matter Twitter account, which I can still see, even though they have me blocked. This is what they tweeted. For seven years, hashtag Black Lives Matter has been drawing connections between white supremacist capitalism and police violence with our hashtag Black Xmas campaign. Yes, white supremacist capitalism, which they claim, I suppose, manifests at Christmas with the consumerism culture we live in and police violence. Guys, I understand the idea, the Marxist idea of intersectionality, and this is a stretch even for you. This is a really, really thin bridge to get from Santa Claus at Christmas to police-involved shootings, or your invented narrative of police-involved shootings of black men where police are not held accountable for racially charged shootings. This is this is so ridiculous. This is what the Black Lives Matter movement is, though. I mean, we've said this for a long time. They are Marxist. They are communist. They want to tear down our system of government. They're not looking for equality under the law. They're not looking to speak up in favor of good police reforms. They're not looking to speak out against actual oppression. No, no, they are using the racial divide that they have instigated. They are using the racial divide that they foment. They are using this racist, false narrative that sparks fear in the heart of the American people, of black Americans specifically when they tell black Americans that they are at risk of being shot by police if they so much as get pulled over for their you know, their parking, their taillight being out, their brake light being out. You could get shot by police, they tell young black men. Actually, you have a higher likelihood of getting struck by lightning than being shot by a police officer, regardless of your skin color. But the Black Lives Matter movement peddles this false narrative because they want you to fear the police. They want to tear down police because they want to tear down capitalism they want to tear down our entire country and usher in marxism this is they did the same thing at thanksgiving this is what they tweeted at thanksgiving you are eating dry turkey and overcooked stuffing on stolen land so yes it's actually a very funny tweet it's a very funny tweet dry turkey and overcooked stuffing i don't know i didn't eat turkey i'm a vegan and i did make stuffing and it was delicious it wasn't on stolen land unless you want to call every piece of land ever stolen because this is the narrative I don't get when, when these land acknowledgement folks who are trying, trying to delegitimize the entire United States by claiming that um, the United States government couldn't be legitimate because those that founded it stole the land from the natives. Um, here's my question. How is anything justly won in the eyes of these folks? How is land justly won? How does land ever change hands justly? Because by the standards set by the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't think any land could be anything other than stolen, meaning all land is stolen because the history of our world is a history of conquest and war. That's what happens. I mean, the Native Americans stole land from each other. We talked about that a little bit at Thanksgiving. But the point here is that to try to equate capitalism with white supremacy, to try to equate capitalism with police violence is absolutely false. Do you know in our country our free market economy and capitalism. Do you know how many people around the world this has helped? Do you know the impact of American capitalism on the world? Let's talk about it. I'm Liz Wheeler, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. Melina Abdullah is the name of this woman who is one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement now. She's um, one of the leading voices, I should say, within the Black Lives Matter movement. This is what she said. We know that state-sanctioned violence is rooted in white supremacist capitalism. Um, She said, this exploits black people as workers and consumers and relies on the police state to secure and maintain its dominance. A very thin thread here, but let's talk about American capitalism for a second because what is American capitalism? American capitalism is our free market economy. It is your right and my right to trade freely. It is our right to the fruits of our labor and our right to bring the fruits of our labor, which legally are an extension of our persons, to the market to trade. Now this is a mutually beneficial type of economy, a mutually beneficial market, because in order to um, be compensated for the fruits of our labor, someone else has to have a need for it you know, supply and demand. So not only is the sale of something that you bring to market beneficial for you because you get the money that you desired, it's also beneficial for the person who purchased it because they had a need for your good or your service. This is the crux of the free market economy. It empowers every single person, no matter their circumstance, no matter their race, no matter their gender, no matter their age, no matter their background, no matter their religion, no matter their socioeconomic status, it allows everybody to achieve and to benefit if they so choose to do so. this I mean, this is, this is something that's been lost in political dialogue, this analogy of an economy like a ladder, where the goal is to climb the ladder because you are the most prosperous and the most secure. We're gonna talk more about that in just a second, but first I wanna to talk to you about Seoul. Today's episode is brought to you by Soul, the sustainable orthopedic footwear company that seeks to enhance your mobility, improve your foot health, in order to keep you in the game longer, and they do so by building shoes from the inside out. Now, why is this important? Well, because 85% of the population will have one or more foot-related ailments in their lifetime. Plantar fasciitis, maybe. Morton's neuroma, maybe. Shin splints, maybe. A lot of these, well, admittedly unsexy ailments, can be helped with a footbed. Seoul has created a footbed, which they define as a great place to rest your soul. It's affordable customizable, and improves people's everyday foot comfort. Millions of customers rave about this product, and two-thirds of Sole customers have two or more pairs of footbeds. Once you know the comfort, the pain relief, the performance enhancement, and injury prevention benefits of Sole footbeds, you will want them in every shoe you own. They have an amazing offer for first-time customers, 50% off if you use my URL, yoursole.com slash Liz, yoursole.com slash Liz. You can try Sole for yourself. They're so confident that you're going to love them. They offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong here yoursole.com slash Liz, yoursole.com slash Liz. Okay. So the idea we've established the idea of what the free market economy is. It's very important to define these things when the left is trying to redefine them. When the left is trying to redefine capitalism and they are equating it with white supremacy to the point that they're actually hyphenating it, white supremacy capitalism. We need to stop for a second and say, wait a second, what is capitalism? What is our economy? What is the free market? And once we define this, we can see that it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with racial supremacy or gender supremacy. It is a system of opportunity for every single person. Now, we can talk about this vaguely. We can talk about this hypothetically. Or we can look at the history of our country, and we can see what the free market economy, what our system of capitalism has brought, not only to the people of our nation, but also to people... All over the world, and of course, this is this is appropriate to look at because the people in our nation are people of many different skin colors, many different ethnicities, many different backgrounds, and certainly, obviously, that applies to people around the world as well. So let's start with the idea of extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is defined as someone who exists on two dollars a day or less. Very extreme. I mean, it's hard to imagine. Um, it's hard to imagine trying to exist on that amount of money. Well, in the year 1820. 94% of the world's population was living in extreme poverty. Only 6% was living above the extreme poverty level. That's pretty hard to imagine. That's pretty hard for me to imagine that, you know, nine, more than 9 out of 10 people were living on under $2 a day. So that was in 1820. Fast forward to 2015. Only 9.6% of the world population is living in extreme poverty less than 10% now. So now we have less than one in every 10 people around the world, the entire world, who is living in extreme poverty. This is hundreds of millions of people that we're talking about. Hundreds of millions. What happened between 1820 and 2015? Well, the American free market economy turned on. The Industrial Revolution happened. We became a global economy. Countries opened up their markets to opportunities. And what happened? People benefited. People in poverty were able to leave poverty. People's lives were improved because they were able to work. They were able to earn a livelihood. They were able to provide for their families. They benefited from the innovations that people were incentivized to create because they knew when they brought that innovation to the market, people would have a demand for it. And people benefited. Healthcare improved. Housing improved. Clothing improved. Food production improved. Medicine improved. All all of these different products, which we view as commodities in our economy because they are mutually beneficial when people are incentivized to create them and bring them to the market and other people demand them and are benefited by them, it lifts everybody up, it benefits everyone. So between the years 1990 and 2015, 1.25 billion people, one and a quarter billion people around the world escaped extreme poverty just to put this into context, that's 50 million people a year, 138,000 people a day escaped extreme poverty. This is what the American free market has done for people in our country and for people all over the world. And you can contrast this, we should contrast this with, okay, well, what would the Black Lives Matter movement have us do instead? If we abolish capitalism like they want us to do, if we end our free market economy, what would they what what system, what economic system would they have us replace our free market economy with? Well, the answer to that is a socialist system. They're very open about admitting this that they're marxists. They they say they're trained marxists and they want a socialist economy, a collective economy if you will, where everyone is the owner and everyone benefits equally because no one is in a position of power. This is obviously unrealistic. And here's the thing, we don't have to talk about this in vague words or in hypotheticals either, because we have evidence, historical evidence of what happens when this socialist economy is the economic system of a country with a lot of people. Let's go back to Mao's China. Mao's China is the biggest socialist experiment that our world has ever experienced. And it is recent enough that there were the innovations and the modern the modern technology, if you will, not modern technology in the sense that I'm not talking about the internet, I'm not talking about smartphones, but I'm talking about modern, the modern era. This was the 1950s, right? The biggest socialist experiment in history, what happened when Mao Zedong in China ushered in, forced, imposed upon his people a socialist economy? It caused the death of 45 million Chinese people. It caused the death of 45 million Chinese people because- forcing socialism and taking away market incentives, taking away the system, and I know it's a little different in China, it's not like they came from a free market, but there simply wasn't enough food to go around because there was no incentive to create this. So people starved to death. And then when you're in a system of socialism, the government cannot stand dissent. They have to stifle dissent. So people were killed, people were imprisoned. I mean, we still see this in China today, stifling dissent to their communist leaders, but we have these, these comparisons. We know what will happen in our country if we have a capitalist economy or if we have a socialist economy. We know what happens when different systems of gov- government are tried. None of this is hypothetical. So again, in 2018, after you know the Industrial Revolution, after global trade was opened, then in the era of the Internet, which allowed people all over the world to compete, even in the United States. This lowered the global poverty rates, again, according to a May 2019 study, this was done by the University of Chicago and the Census Bureau, only 0.11% of Americans are living in extreme poverty, 0.11%. That's about 336,000 people. Now, don't get me wrong, even one person is too many to be living in extreme poverty. But think about this, compared to the number of people in our country total and compared to the number of people in 1820 who were living in global po- or in, around the globe who were living in extreme poverty, 94% of people around the globe were living in extreme poverty in 1820, but in 2019, just 0.11% of people in America were living in extreme poverty. This is pretty crazy stuff. This is this is this is inarguable. This isn't an opinion. This isn't an ideology. This is fact. This is reality. And yet the Black Lives Matter movement claims to stand up for Black people, claims to be a champion of Black people, and they are actually advocating a system that would lead to the oppression, the starvation, the death, the loss of autonomy, loss of liberty, and loss of life of Black people here in the United States and around the world. Maybe this is why the Black Lives Matter movement blocked me on Twitter, because I'm on to their game. I know what they're doing. I see their strategy. I know their goal. I understand their agenda, and I will call it out for the racism and the evil that it is, because that's what it is. They offer racism. They turn it into racialism as a way to usher in Marxism, Marxism, which will damage our country, destroy our country, hurt everyone in our country, particularly the Black people, the Black Lives Matter movement claims to champion. well, let's talk about Christmas because they're blaming, they're blaming Christmas. They're saying Christmas is a consumerist holiday that we are mired down in materialism. And I suppose we are That's in fact true. So let's talk about that for just a second. But first I want to talk about ExpressVPN. So we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and your security online, right? But I learned in the last few months that you can also use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are ostensibly available only in other countries so this is what I mean it's actually really simple all you do is you fire up your ExpressVPN app you change your location to any country say the UK refresh your streaming service Netflix Hulu what-have-you and that's it that's all there is to it see ExpressVPN what it does is they hide your IP address and they let you control where you want websites to think you're located so you can choose from almost hundred different countries just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through it's not just Netflix ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is my favorite. It is the best because it is ridiculously fast. I don't like buffering, I don't like lag. There's never any buffering or lag and you can stream in HD, no problem. It's also compatible with all of your devices. And if you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support the show, watch what you want, protect yourself and your family online, at expressvpn.com slash Liz. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz. Okay, so a month or so ago, I maybe it wasn't a month, three weeks, I'm not sure the exact date, I talked about whether I was going to tell Lady Baby, my daughter, um, that Santa Claus is real or that Santa Claus is pretend. You know, should I do... I, I, I'm not sure what my husband and I are going to do, but my concern is that I don't want to mix reality with um, imagination. I don't, wanna, I don't want her to confuse that what's real, that Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. She obviously, I mean, that happened a long time ago. So I read her books, I tell her the story, we read her the Bible, you know, but it's still intangible in a sense. It's still a story that we're telling her. It's a true story. I don't want her to confuse whether or not that's actually true with a fairy tale, with, you know, the story of Santa Claus. So one of the interesting responses that I got, I talked a little bit about the poll that I took um, from you guys about How many of you, I think it was 60% said that they say that Santa Claus is real. 40% say they don't do Santa Claus or they just do it in a pretend sense. But here's the thing. Here's the confusing part. The confusing part is that Santa Claus is fantasy, obviously, but Santa Claus was based on a real person. Santa Claus is a derivative of St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was a very real person. And this is is where it gets just a little more confusing, because there are elements in the fairy tale. There are elements in the fairy tale of Santa Claus that reflect the reality of what St. Nicholas did. And I did a little research on this. And this, I'm sorry, this is so geeky. I was geeking out so hard when I was reading this. This is so fascinating. I'm never going to look at a Christmas tree actually the same again, because St. Nicholas, who was he? So St. Nicholas, obviously a Catholic saint. He was born during the third century in what is now Turkey, um, Asia Minor at the time. And he became a saint. He's the patron saint of children because he was known to help and save children. So th- this is this is a story that became sort of the defining story about him in the era that he lived in, the town that he lived in. There was a man who lived in his town who was in poverty. He was impoverished He had three daughters. Now, back then, of course, in order to marry off your daughters, you had to have a dowry. You essentially paid the man to marry your daughter. And this man and his three daughters, he was so poor, he didn't have a dowry for his daughter. So they were going to remain unmarried, which is sad. It's sad to think that that was ever a reality. However, what's even sadder is that he was so impoverished that he couldn't pay for a dowry to marry them off. But because they weren't married off, he didn't have the money to feed them or to feed himself. So he was going to, he was planning on selling them into slavery, which back then obviously meant prostitution. It meant sex slavery. And so as the, as the legend goes, and I say legend, but really this was a true story. This is what happened. This is an action St. Nicholas took is one night um, St. Nicholas threw through the window, three bags of gold, and these bags of gold, when he threw them through the window, they landed on the shoes and stockings of the girls that were sitting on the hearth. Now, obviously, this is where we get the tradition of hanging our stockings on the hearth for Santa Claus to fill, or on St. Nick's Day, putting our shoes on the windowsill to be filled with fruits and nuts. But these three bags of gold were obviously to be used to pay the girls dowry so that they could get married. They could you know, not be sold into prostitution. And I mean, it's a great story in and of itself, but get this. These three bags of gold, this is why we hang gold balls on the Christmas tree. Like, I had no idea until I did this research. No idea. It's to represent, it's to represent the bags of gold that St. Nicholas used to save these girls, to save these young women. How amazing is that? That's also, by the way, um, the tradition of oranges on St. Nicholas Day, the oranges are supposed to represent the bag of gold. I Like I said, I had absolutely no idea. So Saint Nicholas became known then as not only the patron saint of children, um, because I know these young women weren't children, but he also saved he also saved other children from slavery. There was a miracle that he performed where he saved a young boy who had been stolen um, to be a slave of a king. And the mother prayed every day, prayed for the intercession of the saint in you know Catholic parlay that means praying for the saint to uh, pray to Jesus. And St. Nicholas performed a miracle and returned the boy to his mother. So he became the patron saint of children. He also became known as the gift giver. And then um, nuns in the 12th century in France, as I said, I told you guys, I was majorly geeking out about this majorly but this is where it becomes confusing because things about santa claus represent the truth about saint nicholas and so you don't want to just dismiss it i don't want to just say oh santa claus that's that's just pretend that's fantasy because there actually are elements that represent the truth of what happened well in the 12th century in france nuns actually continued the tradition of Saint Nicholas anonymously leaving gifts overnight in people's shoes, they left candy and gifts outside of the door of children in need. This became a custom then, you know, in Germany, Austria, France, Switzerland, England, and it, it spread because it was a way of for parents to teach their children um, to teach their children about Saint Nick. So. I don't know. I found this to be pretty interesting. Sometimes the more research you do, the more confused you get about what decision in life to make. And this was certainly the case with St. Nicholas as it pertained to Santa Claus. But obviously, Santa Claus is pretty far removed from this um, this very serious saint back in the middle ages. this this is not this is not similar at all to the jolly old elf that we picture with, you know, the bowl full of jelly. So um, how did Saint Nick turn to Santa Claus in America? Because there is, as the Black Lives Matter movement does point out, there is an element of consumerism in our country. I mean, we are a very materialist country, that's true. Um, We're gonna talk about that in just a second, but first I wanna talk to you about disco. I do think it's pretty universal that if you are a man, you now know that you should be using some sort of skincare products on your face Don't you want to eliminate those bags under your eyes? Is your skin too dry? Does your partner want you to make some changes? Are you tired of razor burn? Are you unhappy with the way your skin looks and you're not sure how to go about addressing the issues? If any of this rings a bell, then you should try the skincare line my husband has been using recently. It's called Disco. He actually asked me for more of it for Christmas. Disco is a clean skincare brand based in Austin, Texas. All Disco products are created specifically for male skin issues like under eye bags, dark circles, acne, razor burn, oily skin, dry skin, and wrinkles. Disco products are easy to use. They're effective and they are affordable. They take the guesswork out of taking care of your skin. So if you want to check out Disco and try their incredible skincare products for yourself, we have a special offer for the Liz Wheeler Show audience. Go to letsdisco.com and enter Liz at checkout and get 30% off your first order. That's letsdisco.com with Liz for 30% off your first order. I think that's a pretty good deal. And I got that deal just for y'all just in time for Christmas. Thank you, Disco, for offering this. That's letsdisco.com, promo code Liz at checkout. So obviously this um, Saint Nicholas from the Middle Ages or rep- er, is similar in no way to the jelly old elf that we know and love Santa Claus here. And it's kind of funny how it came, how Saint Nicholas um, came to America as Santa Claus. So the Reformation tried essentially to stamp out the tradition of celebrating Saint Nicholas on his feast day, December 6th. They took a pretty dim view of your Catholic saints, if you will. However, after the American Revolution, New Yorkers, um, decided to celebrate their Dutch roots. The Dutch were pretty big into celebrating St. Nicholas, and they brought it back. And then this tradition of St. Nicholas was brought into popular culture by some people you might recognize. Of course, I am talking about Um, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Twas the Night Before Christmas was huge. By Clement Moore was huge in bringing this back. My family has a tradition, actually, that we don't do this at midnight just because, you know, somebody always wants to go to bed before midnight. But no matter how old we are, most of us are in our 30s at this point. Um, My dad reads us Twas the Night Before Christmas late on Christmas Eve after we get back from midnight mass or whatever um, after Christmas dinner. We read this just by the light of the Christmas tree before we go to bed. This is an age-old family tradition, one that I love. I absolutely love. I'm very excited to introduce um, my daughter to this tradition. But Clement Moore with Twas the Night Before Christmas was huge into bringing this idea or translating St. Nicholas into the imaginary form of Santa Claus. And then, of course, we have Coca-Cola that cemented the rest, right? Um, they cemented the commercial aspect. But the truth of the matter is St. Nick was real. He was very real. Patron saint of children. He saved poor children, saved boys sold into slavery, saved women from sex slavery. And um, And let's circle back then to the Black Lives Matter because this actually does have a tie-in. The actual spirit of St. Nicholas, the actual spirit of St. Nicholas is best served by charity. I mean, that's what he did is he gave of himself to other people. He made the decision out of his own free will to save people and to give to people. And charity, of course, is best served with prosperity, which is best served by the free market. So if we're actually talking about um, the spirit of Christmas, we're actually talking about the spirit of St. Nick there's no racism involved here. We're just talking about the ability of people to provide for themselves and to pay that forward, to, say, to sacrifice of themselves to give to other people. And you know, the one thing I might agree with with the Black Lives Matter movement is consumerism is bad, materialism is bad, but this is the thing. The downside of freedom is always sin. But the answer to sin isn't racism, as the Black Lives Matter movement would tell us. It's not Marxism, as the left tells us. The answer to sin is God. That's the actual reason that we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus humbled himself to be born a baby in a manger, to die on a cross, to wash away our sins with his blood so we can live with him forever in eternity. That's the true spirit of Christmas. That is why we celebrate Christmas. I wish you and your family a very, very Merry Christmas. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Oh, by the way, also the locals VIP of the week is BSW Zoo. BSW Zoo, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community on locals. We are delighted to have you just in time for Christmas. Good choice here. Um, We're always delighted to meet new faces. Introduce yourself. Tell us why you joined, what you hope to gain by it, what issues are most important to you, Uh, maybe even who you want to run in 2024. We want to hear it all. We want to hear your whole story. If you are not part of the Liz Wheeler Show community, you should be. We have, you have what, like three days left before our big Christmas sale ends. So uh, time is, now is the time. $56 a year to become an annual VIP on the Liz Wheeler Show community and reap all the benefits. We're talking about early access to interviews. We're talking about extended segments that we can't post on Big Tech. We're talking about live streams, question and answers. All kinds of fun stuff happens over there. There are tens of thousands of us if you have not already joined, please do now, $56 a year at LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. BSW Zoo, we are delighted to have you. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay, executive producer, Chad Abbott, director of photography, Kevin McRoberts, editor, Alejandro Figuerilla, sound mixer, Robin Fenderson, director of marketing, Emily Washler, production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler, and senior publicist Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.